0: These are the daily lectionary comments for August the 10th. Then look at 1 Samuel 25, again at verse 23. We're going to meet Abigail and see how she rescues David from himself. And then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul uses himself and the other apostles as examples for the Corinthians and compares their attitude, uh, the apostles' attitude about themselves, and the Corinthians and how they seem to think of themselves. All right. First Samuel chapter twenty-five, beginning at verse twenty-three, uh, the last episode we see that David, uh, the last episode, <laughs> the last devotion, we see that that uh, David had ordered his men to strap on their swords and go visit Nabal in order to visit vengeance upon him. Meanwhile, Abigail, Nabal's wife, learns what her husband uh, had done and and takes matters into her own hands to try to save. Her husband and the whole household. She throws together uh, a a um, uh, gifts for David and attempts to meet him on the way before David gets there. And begins wreaking vengeance. Well, she does this very thing, as a matter of fact. David encounters her, and she uh, she renders a hearty uh, apology to David for what her husband has done. If you look at verse 25, it says, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. That's her own husband. For as his name is, so is he. Well, Nabal means fool. And his name is fool. And he acts like a fool. And he has poked the bear. And the bear is about to uh, destroy him. But uh, Nabal's foolish, Nabal's wise and discerning wife is trying to save him. So so anyway, David listens to her, and she she says, "Look, um, verse twenty-eight. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my lord's uh, a sure house." In other words, the Lord will build up your house. In verse thirty, it says, "And when the Lord has done to my lord according to all the good that he has spoken, my lord shall not have no cause to grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause." or or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. In other words, Abigail is saying, I understand what you're about to do. I understand why you're about to do it. However, you are going to incur on yourself great guilt. Rather, let the Lord establish your house and do not seek this vengeance on on my husband, however much he may deserve it. That's basically what Abigail is saying. And in verse 32, it's clear that David not only got the message of what Abigail was saying to him, but recognized that what she was saying was absolutely true. Verse 32 says, And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. So David recognizes that Abigail has really rescued him. And so we see an interesting thing here in David. And that is, he was obviously very angry at how he'd been treated by Nabal and had no problem with ordering his men and himself to strap on their swords and go take vengeance, go deal with this man according to what he deserves. So we see that David could be very violent. We also see that David was willing and very able to be introspective and, and truly humble and repentant when he meets with the word of the Lord. Abigail sort of challenges him delicately here. Um, later on, Nathan, uh, the prophet will challenge him much more strongly uh, uh, after the incident with Bathsheba. But we'll see that the David, who at that time uh, had acted very uh, lustfully and violently again, uh, will will be deeply repentant when hit with the word of God that convicted him. So we see that in David. We don't see a sinless person. We don't see a person without any human flaws. But we do see somebody who can and will respond to the word of God that convicts him. Now, what happens next is uh, Abigail ends up telling his uh, her husband of all what happened. This happened uh, uh, after a night of celebrating. Uh, she didn't tell Naval uh, anything. He had he had no idea that any of this had even happened, and she informs him of what David and his men were coming to do, and what she did to forestall this. And it says that Naval basically was was seized, uh, was uh, so horrified at his own self that uh, that it says he became like a stone. And about ten days later. Uh, he died. And David, hearing about this, uh, sends messengers to go fetch Abigail, whom he was obviously very taken with, her discretion. And uh, and she went with the messengers and became David's wife. That's interesting here is uh, that Abigail became David's wife without David having to kill Naval at all. The Lord did that. And we'll see that this is um, a little bit like what will happen later In transitioning from the house of Saul to the house of David, we'll see that the enemies of David's throne will be killed one after the next. But David himself is not going to incur blood guilt here. In other words, he's not going to behave in the typical pattern of an ancient Near Eastern king who wipes out his opposition in order to secure his throne. David's going to allow the Lord to secure his throne. And the text is going to make it very clear that that's what happened, that the Lord secured David's throne, as here the Lord secured a wife for David, and uh, without him having to execute his vengeance at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is going to contrast the apostles and what their life looks like with how the Corinthian church is treating itself. And there's there's three little sections of this, uh, three verses or that I want you to look at, particularly the first is verse 1, which says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul looks at himself and the other apostles as stewards of the mysteries of God. That's a great way to look, by the way, at the church itself, and particularly the clergy. Stewards of the mysteries, not owners of the mysteries, not people who are somehow uh, uh, have some kind of hidden wisdom, that nobody else uh, has. Instead, uh, we manage the word of God and the sacraments, and we are stewards, managers of them, to make sure that they're made available to the people. But we're not spiritually above other people, and and we are not somehow uh, holders of some secret knowledge or anything like that. But we do have this powerful word, these words and and sacraments uh, that uh, build up the church. So he says, "Think of us as stewards of mysteries, not somehow or another spiritual titans." It's, he goes on to say, in verse uh, in verse uh, three, he says, um, "I don't I don't care what anybody how anybody should judge me. I don't even not judge myself." Verse four says, "For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me." Now that's important: the judgment of the Lord. Is what we really should be concerned with. And verse 5 gets down to it. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light all things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Okay, so God will judge. And until the Lord comes, things not revealed in his word are simply can't be known for sure. So be careful. Not only are we stewards of the mysteries of God, but we are going to be humble about all things that, that the word of God does not reveal. That's why he says in verse 6, he says, That you may learn not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Remember, there's lots of divisions in the church. And the reason there are divisions in the church is different parties are forming about different ideas of wisdom. Wisdom and insight that the different parties think that they have or seeing in the word of God or seeing in the world or seeing in their philosophies that are pitting one aspect of the church against another. And Paul is uh, is, is commanding them to draw back and to recognize that you are going beyond what is written. This is not what is written. Now then, the next section of this, of this uh, reading is filled with, um, well, some sarcasm. It says here, Um, Verse eight, without us, you have become kings. Without us apostles, you Corinthians have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share uh, in the rule with you. He's being sarcastic here. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. So what he's saying is, we, the apostles, whom Christ himself ascended into the world with the word to be stewards of the mysteries, and who are not going beyond the word. If you just look and see, you see that we are not uh, kings and rich and wise like you in the eyes of the world. But you are seeing yourselves through the eyes of the world, seeing yourself as somehow or another, um, um, you know, holders of some kind of wisdom or, 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 or insight. Whereas we apostles, judged by your eyes, must look absolutely horrible, must look absolutely foolish. So he's drawing this contrast in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. The reason you think so much of yourself is because you're viewing yourself through the world's eyes. But if you viewed yourself through the lens of the kingdom of God and don't go beyond what the Word has written, and you just observe what the what the, the stewards and the mysteries of the Word are going through, you would be much, much more humble about yourself. Okay, well, that's enough. I've gone on enough for today. And uh, uh, we'll, tomorrow we'll take up... Uh, uh, in the next, uh, uh, first Corinthians chapter five.